This podcast is proudly brought to you by Infinity Media, incubating innovative businesses in the media industry. Hi, I'm Gordon Muller. I'm the guru in the Doc and Guru podcast. Thanks for being with us. For those of you who don't know me, I've spent over 40 years in the media industry in South Africa and uh, pretty much made it my home, my life, my passion. I have other passions, unfortunately, for my sins. I'm an Arsenal supporter and a Shark supporter, so we're going to do pretty much everything on the show as it pertains to media, marketing and money, but we don't take jokes about Arsenal or the Sharks. I'm Doug Mateus, uh, the doc on the show. Uh, and again, for those of you who don't know me, I've I spent 30 years in, in uh, various companies in South Africa uh, running uh, different marketing functions. And the last job I had, I was privileged in, enough to work with a team that took uh, the brand to the fastest growing brand in South Africa in 2018 with a 47% year-on-year growth. So that was a, a great achievement uh, for the team and, and, and I'm really proud of that. Uh, from a personal point of view, I do a little bit of cycling uh, and also snow skiing. So we quite enjoy that. But again, uh, today's discussion is around all things marketing and media. Yep, that's right, Doc. All things marketing and media. No subject too big, no topic too small, no subject too hot to handle please get in touch with us on our facebook page follow us like us whatever it takes we would love you to be involved with the show and uh, we really want to make it as inclusive and as energetic as i know this industry is capable of hey gordon how's it going welcome this week yeah doc uh, how's it going it's uh it's summertime, <laughs> and the living is easy. No, Gordon, let's, I think, let's rather stick to the audio. Just improv there. <laughs> and, Very uh, good. But yeah, I've got to say, I mean, I mentioned it yesterday, but uh, Robbie uh, Hunter is a special guest today, which you're going to introduce in a moment. But I think you're looking outstanding. Those Lycra shorts, but I mean, <laughs> I reckon you could hit a really couple of really high notes there. If you try summertime, you're going to get a couple of high notes there. Gordon, at my age and my limited ability, which was always limited and becoming more so, you now wear baggy shorts and uh, and an oversized cycling shirt. You don't wear the skin suits at the pro cycling. Ah, uh, you can kid the listeners. I'm in the studio with you, Doc. <laughs> But Gordon, we've had uh, a lot of great guests through the last year, and today's no exception. I mean, a great South African, just a wonderful guy, a Euro, Robbie Hunter. Uh, Robbie, uh, before I get into your um, all your achievements, and I mean, we can spend the whole half an hour just talking about it. Welcome. Thanks very much. The last week of the tour, uh, and you're spending some time with us. Thanks again. Yeah, great. Uh, great to be here, actually. Um it's uh, it's always it's always good to be a part of something uh, something like this, you know, especially around these times. So yeah, fantastic to be here. Thanks, Robbie. And again, just for for listeners out there who perhaps you know the memory is a bit faded, whatever. I mean, Robbie was the first South African to to ride in the tour. Uh, Sixteen years as a pro in Europe, uh, and and also the first South African, only one of two guys to have ever won a stage, a very famous stage uh, in the colours of Barlow World in two thousand and seven. So Gordon, again, you know, we'll chat about that. Uh, you know, Robbie, nine times in the tour. So we want to talk a little bit about where we are in the tour now, the final week, uh, the lineup, uh, you know, and, and and then just go from there. And we also want to just chat, Robbie, if you don't mind, a little bit about the marketing. You know, it's such a big marketing commercial circus run by ASO. But I think let's just start with your your take on, on where we are at the tour. 
in terms of of the of the general classification. And then I, I guess quite interestingly for me is is weird to see Peter Sagan not in green this this week. Yeah, it's uh, look, it's definitely been an interesting uh, interesting two weeks, I'd say now of, of the Tour de France. I mean, um, if we look take a quick step back uh, over the past, uh, I'd say you know five six years, and actually even beyond that with Peter, you know you. Um, we've, we've become so accustomed to seeing Ineos uh, at the front and, and dominating. Uh, so so accustomed to seeing Peter Sagan dominating in green. And you know, this is one of those one of those years where you know, I like to call it a transition year, where you know you often have uh, we take even a, a look back even further. You know the, the United States Postal Service dominated for so long, and then mm-hmm. you, know, you go to these transition years where one team really do- doesn't dominate as much, and you have a kind of like an I want to call him an outside winner or an outside jersey holder, but you know now you've got uh, after after seventy years no longer Ineos dominating, um, and you've got uh, Tade Pogacar, who's a twenty-one-year-old who's right up there, who's got a very big chance of actually taking the yellow jersey, although he hasn't held it just yet. Mm. Um, and then obviously his his compatriot, uh, you know, who's who's in the in the yellow jersey. So I, I like to call it a transition year, but yeah, definitely uh, uh, not what we've been accustomed to seeing the last uh, five six years for sure. Well, I mean, just talking Ineos, uh, you know, Robbie, I guess as a South African, you know, you, and I know Chris Froome had a, had a horrendous crash. We all know that. And, and I guess he wasn't too fit. But I did see his comments. I don't know if you saw the comments on the weekend on Sunday, you know, that horrific stage that Egan Bernal rode up up uh, Grand Columbia. I mean, he had a terrible day yeah. on the bike. And Chris Froome just said, listen, I could have played a role for the team. So, And then I see uh, Geraint Thomas came out on Monday. And he said he just kept quiet. You know, he just came second in the Adriatica. So he just said, listen, um, I, I, whatever, the team chose the team, you know. And he didn't want to be too harsh on uh, on the team selection. What is your take on on, on, on those two omissions? Uh, honestly, I think there's a lot more uh, behind the scenes going on than, than, than uh, you know, the, the public knows about. I mean, Chris, Chris going to another team next year and you know, just talking about him briefly, I mean, I think that... Um, Dale Bracewood would have um, not been too happy, and it would have been, a, you know, ended up with a bit of mud in his face if if Chris Froome had gone to the Tour this year and he proved to be stronger than, um, you know, his, his so-called leaders um, like Bernal. And uh, I think he would definitely would have looked the fool having let him go. So I think that was a bit of a tactical decision on on his side, uh, making sure that Chris wasn't at the Tour this year. And I think uh, as far as uh, Gareth's concerned. I, you know, I'm actually quite not not quite sure why they left him at home. Um, but there's definitely been a dynamic shift in in uh, in Ineos. They're supporting more foreigners at the moment than Colombians and our actual Englishmen and uh, um, and the British uh, flag. So uh, it, it's quite interesting. Um, but I definitely think from my side that there was a, a tactical mistake um, not taking them to the Tour de France. I think they could have done gotten better results. But again, it's 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 his team, his decision, and he's the boss, uh, Dale Bracefoot. So yeah. So Robbie, I mean, as we, as we go into the last week now, you got uh, on the general classification, you got Roglic up front, uh, up front, Pogacar, Rigoberto, yep. Uran in three. What yep. what's going on? What are those guys? What's going on in their heads? What's going on in the team? Um, how do you play the last week? I mean, it's like the last twenty five minutes of of the Rugby World Cup final, and you know. Just, I think our listeners would be really keen to understand the di- conversational dynamic within the team. Well, I mean, you've, you've got three very different athletes uh, sitting on you know the, the, the top three steps. I mean, you've got uh, Rigoberto Ran, who's the old, experienced, um, kind of like the granddad of Colombian cycling. Um, he's been up there, he's been on the podiums, he's got many results, he's won stages. Um, 
you know, he's a very, uh, he's the kind of guy that doesn't conform to, um, you know, the, the scientific side of today's racing. He doesn't race with power meters. He races on feel um, and it's working. Um, then on the other side, you've got, uh, you know, a young, extremely talented rider that, you know, it's been a long time since we've seen such a talented rider and, you know, 21 years of age, he's on, you know, he's very close to actually taking the yellow jersey. So podium place right now. And uh, yeah, and then you've got Roglic who comes from, as, as we all know, a very different sporting background. So not not the uh, not the usual sporting background of cycling. Uh, you know, he comes from from ski jumping. And uh, um, but again, an extremely talented uh, athlete uh, in general. Um, but you know, the, it comes from a very scientific team. Um, things are uh, you know looked at very uh, closely, looking for the marginal gains. So three now the, the two athletes that are definitely going to be fighting for yellow are going to be, um, you know, Roglic and, and Pogacar. If you look back to national championships um, or their national championships this year, Pogacar was actually um, the guy who beat Roglic in time trial, even though most people think that Roglic, Roglic is the uh, the better time trialist. So um, it's it's not just a it's not just a walk in the park and not a given that Roglic is going to have yellow, you know, when we get to Paris. So uh, I think there's still going to be a bit of fighting out on the road for sure. Yeah, well, interesting. I mean, obviously, we're all going to be glued, you know, to our various devices and, and watching it. Robbie, just I just want to go into, into something you spoke about. Rigoberto ran in, in terms of, of of maybe old school using feel. I want to, I want to bring it back to the technical partner of the tour, NTT, and and then mm-hmm. obviously their their team, NTT Pro Cycling. Yep. I mean, are you are you in touch yep. with Dougie Ryder and the guys? Do you do you work? Do you do some work with them? Uh, and and I mean we, they're using a lot of data. I mean they're very scientific in terms of of not just the for their riders, but also you know the tour apps, the fantasy games, Correct. the bringing the bringing yeah. the sport to the sort of fan, I guess, on the two screen mindset. You know, with limited people these days on the side of of the roads. Yeah. No, look from from that perspective, NTT's done an amazing thing. Uh, you know, in the last uh, the last couple of years, um, you know, bringing the scientific side to to the sport to try and show the kind of the people behind the televisions or, and, and, and the fans of the sport, you know, a little bit more in-depth uh, statistics and, and understanding and those kinds of things of what's actually going on. Um, and yes, it's uh, it's definitely something that, that I think is needed within the sport. Um, it definitely adds a, a whole new dimension um, and an interesting dimension for sure. Um, I speak to Doug and them, you know, quite often. I was actually on the phone with him last night discussing one or two things with the team. Um, I still work very closely with a number of athletes on on his team, mm. um, but I think you know the, I think there's definitely something to be said. Um, you know, like I mentioned, the you know the old uh, granddad of Colombian cycling, Uran, and uh, you know he goes on feel, he goes on uh, what the, you know what his legs tell him, yeah. um, and not just what, what what he reads on a computer. And uh, I think pr- pr- probably. There's, there's a bit of a disconnect between both worlds. Uh, old school doesn't want to believe in the new school, and the new school doesn't want to believe that anything that the old school's got to say actually works. Um, and I think possibly the best way is actually to try and make a bit of a combination of both. Um, and I think the guys, um, you know, they, it, obviously both sides do work. You take Ineos and Sky past, and you know, science, science does work. There's no, there's no two ways about it. Um, but you know, you also can't say that uh, 20 years ago people were riding slower because there wasn't the science of today. So I think the it's important to make people understand, especially youngsters of today, actually, that, you know, if you, you shouldn't just think that if you don't have an expensive computer that you can't ride a bicycle fast or you can't run fast or you can't do sport uh, to the best of your ability. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there definitely are good coaches out there that can, you know, get to a, a really excellent uh, level um, to compete at. 
even without having you know the, the, the full full science of today behind you. And I think that's that's an important thing, especially for youngsters of today, to not you know to really not just think that uh, science is the the be all and end all. Um, but going back to NTT, I mean they've done amazing things. They brought on some riders that uh, from a scientific side that they say you know kind of should explode in the next year or two. And yes, it's uh, it's definitely a it's a part of the sport that hasn't been explored um, by many other teams. Um, and I think that uh, yeah, you know, the way they're doing it um, definitely brings another dimension to the public out there, and it's it's actually quite interesting. You mentioned uh, young riders and young talent. I nearly had a heart attack watching uh, Mark Hershey, you know, on, mm-hmm. on his first attempt at a stage win and, and being pipped yep. on the wheel to come third and then getting on the bike. I think two days later and and blessing his yep. first stage win. So the talent is just phenomenal. Is there a culture in terms of? So using the football model, we've you know football kids are at Arsenal are kind of there from the age of seven. I mean, we had Emmy Martinez, yep. the goalkeeper, joined at seventeen. Now we're going to sell him at twenty-seven, just when he's finally actually looking like a goalkeeper, which is <laughs> for another discussion. But is there a culture of that? How do young riders get recognised? You know, what's the breeding ground for talent? How do you get the the, the you know the cream of the crop early? Um, that, that really is a complicated one because. Um, you know, cycling is a sport that uh, uh, you know it doesn't have the funding that um, that football does, unfortunately, or soccer does. And uh, so, a lot of what the talent, um, their scouting and, and upbringing of talent is done literally within the, the families. You know, the mothers, the fathers. You know, it's, it's a passion for the sport. And by the time that you know the guys get to the age of maybe sixteen or seventeen, they join a small team, possibly in Europe, uh, because you know, on, on many countries, it's it's not capable to. Um, to get yourself noticed, unless you're really racing in in Europe. I mean, uh, racing in America or South Africa, or Australia on the local circuits just isn't seen. Um, you know, it just just isn't isn't seen in the same light as if you're racing in Europe. So, um, if you come and perform in in Europe and and you do something at a certain age, you know, before the age of 17, 18, people look at you. that oh, great! You know, they give you opportunity. Um, but I can tell you, if you haven't done anything by the age of 22 and you're still living in you know your home countries, uh, pretty much the doors are closed. So very very difficult. It's um, and unfortunately, you know, when you when you do the look at the other side of the education, you know, most people want athletes to or young or young young people to uh, kind of pursue a certain level of education before they go to Europe and, and, and study. So from from our our countries, Americans, Australians, I think I'd say we definitely have a bit of a disadvantage. Um, whereas the Europeans are here, they go to school, they come back, they ride their bikes, they're with their family. Things are things are a little bit easier, um, you know, to get seen and noticed by as a foreigner, especially from you know the faraway countries. It's definitely not easy. Um, but a lot of so the so the support levels are uh, very hard to come by, um, you know, especially when the federations and stuff don't really have the money. Um, so, like I said, a lot of the supporting uh, and financial side definitely comes from from families. Yeah, and I remember Robbie. I mean, you told me years ago you know in terms of when you left south africa and went out there there were a lot of guys in your era of of sort of cohort of south african bike riders who could also ride but didn't want to guts it out in europe you know it's tough you were telling me as a young guy you know you're on with your mate in a car different weather conditions you know riding in the in the snow and the sleet and and it's a lot more comfortable you know either living at home or having your own place and riding you know the local bike races but i mean yeah obviously that's not necessarily how you get noticed and and i mean obviously you had a a long and and very successful career in europe you're listening to the dark and the guru proudly brought to you by infinity media
Yeah, it's, you know, it's a bit of a double-edged sword, to be honest with you, because, you know, to, to try and get to Europe takes money. So, you know, you try and get kids that have, you know, or families that have got a bit of a structure, a bit of money to try and help the kids and things like that. But on the other side, um, if there's too much money, it, it becomes a bit of a disadvantage because life's too easy. Mm. And coming from South Africa, I mean, everybody knows, we've as much as the country has its issues and, you know, now and again and its ups and downs and things like that on the political scene. But, you know, most people live a great life. They've got big houses, uh, you know, by big swimming pools. Everybody drives their own vehicles. And so you, you have a relatively advantaged uh, upbringing. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, you want to come to Europe and become a professional professional cyclist, and which is not easy. Um, it's extremely hard. Um, and now all of a sudden, there's no mom, there's no dad, there's no friends. Um, you're living in a small apartment, uh, if, you know, if, if things are good. Um, so it, it, you get thrown really get thrown into the deep end, and if, and if you can't cope with that, um, and you're too kind of used to having um, you know the, the the easy things in life, then it's not so easy to become a professional and continue to stay a professional, even if you've got the talent. Um, that's very often why you see a lot of um, you know younger um, people that do perform within cycling actually come from. I don't want to say disadvantaged upbringing, but slightly harder upbringing mm. than just the people who come out of, you know, the uh, the million dollar mansions and things like that, because it really is a hard sport. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, mm. it's it's definitely a sport that, that lends itself to kind of the harder the harder mentality than just um, you know guys mm. coming from uh, yeah. really you know the, the easy given backgrounds. Yeah, and I guess you know for us. I mean, most of us would, would look at, at a grand tour and you'd, you'd watch that and, and you'd, you'd know that there's 23 days of, you know, Pyrenees and ops and hard suffering. But it's also the other stuff, you know. And I mean, just the spring classics. I mean, the spring classic in Belgium is, is like wet and cold. You know, a great day is not snow. So it's all of that stuff. But Robbie, just as, be, be, just as an aside and just something that I remember, I think you were telling me this a few years ago that as a young guy when you got – to uh to Europe your first pro team was in Italy and you were saying to me it was quite a weird thing that your whole thinking your whole mindset your language of cycling when talking in the peloton is Italian is 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 that right am I right in remembering it like that you are and it's, <laughs> it came to it definitely came um or, or became a, a thing for me at the end of the day I mean coming to Europe when I did back in in 98 it, uh, you know there was no English speaking in, in the peloton it, you know, there was only a few Australians and they all spoke you know French or Italian uh, because of the teams that they raced for, um, I you know, based myself in Italy, so I had to learn Italian, um, and and it became a, it became the norm, you know, just to just to get by, you had to speak a European language, and uh, you know, I also looked at it in a sense like, how do I fit into their system, you know, because I'm the foreigner, um, you know, how do I make it work for myself, and to make it work was to fit in, by fitting in, you understand the culture, you learn the language. Um, you know, and, and there's, you know, you, you can't, you can't pretend to learn another person's culture and, and see how things work if you're not prepared to, you know, work within their guidelines. Um, so yeah, it, Italian became a big part of my life. Um, I still speak it fluently today, and uh, it was, it was something when I was racing. You know, if I spoke to people or got upset with people, you know, the first words that came out my mouth were, out my mouth were Italian, um, <laughs> because number one, they probably wouldn't have understood a, a single word of English back then. I um, think they would have got the gist of it, Robbie, especially if you were up shoulder to shoulder <laughs> yeah, then on, okay. a, on, a, on a sprint yeah. and you had your finger in the, yeah. on their sunglasses. I think yeah. any language yeah. they would have understood. Yeah. No COVID distancing and those. Yeah, so you and Robert no. De Niro talk. Italian, I, I'm impressed. Uh, um, I was just mining some of the local data uh, in South Africa. I was looking at uh, Wi-Fi's brand map. We, we covered that before as a database, uh, Doc. Yeah. And whether it's mountain bikes or, or road bikes, there's still a, a two-thirds um, male bias in the sport. And Robbie, I think at the moment, if I'm not mistaken, you are actually in Italy 
uh, observing the uh, the women's tour. What, what's happening with with cycling um, globally in terms of of growth in the women uh, for women as a sport? I mean, I think physiologically, uh, you know, it's, it, they're almost ideally built more so perhaps than the heavier male. I mean, you would think. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm actually currently in Italy at the moment at the Women's uh, Tour of Italy. Um, it's uh, probably the, wom- the biggest uh, women's uh, event on the calendar uh, in the year. And um, yeah, it's, it's, the sport itself is, and I think sport in general, in all sports, is growing, has grown and is growing uh, massively for, on the women's side. Um, you know, we can't say that all sports are exactly the same. You know, women's golf or women's tennis or whatever, you know, a lot of money um, and, and easily comparable to kind of the men's side. On on, on cycling, it's slightly differently. Um, you know, you, you really can't compare um, a woman or expect a woman to ride up the, the Grand Colombier as fast as a man. It, it's just physically impossible. Mm. Um, but they race within themselves. And, and, you know, the ladies these days have got good sponsors, good teams, a lot more money has been spent on them. Um, uh, you know, from to make things a little bit more uh, on, on kind of from from the equality side, and and it's working out well. You know, they they got some great racing, they have got some great athletes. You know, Anna van der Breggen and uh, and Anna Mikvel and Vloot and things like that who are absolutely dominating. Um, you know, you do some of the training that uh, that, that Anna Mik does, and you know, she trains um, as as much, if not more, than than some of the the, the men. Um, on, on the pro scene, uh, you know, like I said, I don't say that she can go as fast as uh, most professional men up the Grand Colombier, but, you know, she dominates, absolutely dominates the ladies scene. And, you know, when you see her racing and how she buries herself, it's actually extremely exciting. So the women's racing is definitely on the up. A um, lot more people investing money in, in, in the sport. And it's, it's good to see because it's also, it's gotten to the point now where, um, you know, there wasn't depth in the past, uh, in, in women's racing and, and, and now there is um, because money's being invested in it. So the more depth that the, the sport gets, you know, you, the more money will be invested and you'll see a lot more, um, lot more of women's racing, uh, I suppose, on TV in the future as well. You mentioned uh, Daryl Impey a, a little earlier and talking, you know, sort of relativity, you can't compare sports, but I guess Wimbledon is to tennis what the US Masters is to golf. With Daryl doing yeah. so well in Australia, where, where does that rank on the sort of inverted commas major scale? I mean, are we talking a, a 7 out of 10 relative to Tour de France? I mean, how good was that? It certainly looked good from what I was watching. Daryl, Daryl, Daryl's an exceptional bike rider. I mean, Daryl, in fact, I mean, Daryl's one of the best riders uh, and most professional riders on the circuit at the moment. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's no longer young. Um, but he's definitely still performing at his best, and he's actually, you know, he's had some of his best performance over the last two years. Um, like you said, Australia, um, which is the Tour Down Under, uh, he's had some great results of the past two years, and you know, he 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 pretty much dominates there every year. Um, he's come, to, he came to to a last journey, won a stage, and so if I have to compare, the, the, you know, the two the two races. Both are exceptionally important. Tour de France and Tour de Nanda. Tour de Nanda is at the start of the season. Mm. Um, it's, the, it's the first of the kind of world tour races. Um, and it, it, it's, of course, it's not the Tour de France. It's not as well known. It's not um, as many as many kind of uh, riders on the start line. But it's all, your, it's all the same teams that are at the Tour de France. Uh, maybe the difference, I would say, is that at the Tour de France, you've got 180 riders um, possibly that are at the best of a condition, and every 180 of them is prepared for the Tour de France. When you start the Tour Down Under, you've possibly got 120 riders that are in uh, you know, in good condition, 60 of which are probably the best condition that they can get. So the depth um, in the field just isn't as good as the Tour de France, but the, the race at the end of the day, if you win it, it hasn't come for free. 
Um, and if you get results there, again, it doesn't come for free. So uh, very important on the calendar, nonetheless. Um, you know, to see a guy like Daryl getting results there, fantastic. One of the big, uh, you know, sort of features, obviously, uh, of the tour watching it is it, it's, it's incredibly colorful. And yes, we know there's been a certain degree of detraction this year without mm-hmm. the people, etc. But for me, I, what I found very helpful were the, the commentators giving you guidelines and these devices now, like they're using football to tag a rider. Mm-hmm. So you can see who they're talking about. It just looks like a blur, yeah. a magnificent blur of color. <laughs> how, how, do, how do you try to extract the value of that uh, from a sponsorship point of view? I mean, I'm seeing one or two guys, you know, even paying attention to detail, which I think is incredible, like of zipping the jersey up and giving yeah. the, the logo a, 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 a kind of a, a display. I mean, are guys conscious of that sort of thing, working for the sponsor? Oh, they very much are. I mean, uh, you know, when the jerseys and things get designed, you know, they get designed in a certain way. Um, again, cycling, unfortunately, is not um, as publicized and, and doesn't get as much uh, TV time as, as many other sports. Um, and, you know, the, the the financial model is very complicated and since it's just pure sponsorship. So it's hard to justify uh, to any company um, with the amount of money that's asked. You know, when people are asking budgets between 20 and 40 million a year um, and, you know, you have to give them a return on investment, uh, it, it, it's hard to justify it. So, you know, the, the guys have to try and find the most um, effective way of giving it, you know, getting a return. And if that means that, you know, guys have to zip up their jerseys, you know, in the most fatigued state just before the finish line to make sure you see that, the, you know, the sponsor's uh, logos correctly, of course they have to do it. So, uh, you know, the riders are very conscious, the teams are very conscious. Um, but yeah, they, you know, it's, it's something that gets drummed into the athletes to try and give everything they can back to their sponsors. Um, and, you know, of course, if you're going to spend that kind of money, you know, you definitely want your return. So um, it's it, the teams are definitely looking to do what they can, where they can, you know, whether it's publicity on social media, um, you know, going to the races with the best teams possible to try and make sure that they get results. So it's, it's, it's no longer just a thing of the past where, you know, it didn't really matter. Uh, if people were spending a million, now we're talking about forty million, um, and people want their, you know, their pound of flesh when they're spending that kind of money. So it has to be very professional, and they have to get the return. Yeah, no, but uh, absolutely, Robbie. And I think you know, just uh, Gordon, I was, I was watching something two, three days ago um, on on a sort of documentary on the whole growth of NTT, and it's quite interesting talking about how tough it was. They were interviewing Doug Ryder predominantly. Uh, around that journey from the old MTN Quebec team into Dimension Data as a South African team and now into NTT Pro Cycling. So it's absolutely, and I mean, just one of the little, int- I didn't know this. So when the guys go over the finish line, most guys would zip up their jersey. But what they do in NTT is they actually open, they take their hands off the handlebars as most riders do on a stage and then hold the palms out and inside of their glove is the Quebec logo, in other words, their charity's logo wow. as extra exposure. So it's quite interesting. And then also on Mandela Day in, in, in a Grand Tour, what they would do is typically wear an orange color to symbolize that. So there were little things like that and they educated their riders talking about the symbolism of not only Mandela Day, but an African team, etc. So it's quite interesting, you know, uh, those nuances, Robbie, as you say, instead of a guy just lining up and, and trying to get to the finish, you know, there's also, you know, you've got to understand where, you know, who sort of who pays your salary. So uh, I guess, Correct. yeah, a lot of cyclists are going, you know, and becoming more aware. Just talking a little bit about Quebec, I mean, that is a, a fantastic initiative that has been going for years. I remember it when it started with MTN with the yellow bicycles. Uh, I mean, geez, that's a that's a really really heartwarming story for uh, for a team giving back. 
No, it is. It's good. And, you know, honestly, it's, it's nice to see that sponsors um, or teams at the end of the day have, have these kinds of initiatives. And I think it's, uh, you know, Doug Wright and NTT currently in, uh, have been sponsoring um, that initiative for many years. Um, you know, I can personally attest to, you know, seeing Quebec bicycles um, up in the middle of Africa. And, you know, they've obviously come through South Africa and, made, you know, filtered their way up. And, you know, last year I actually rode my motorbike through the heart of Africa from South Africa to Europe. And, uh, you know, going through, I think it was, Zambia or, or somewhere there that you know I'd actually seen the the Quebec Quebec bicycle. So it's uh, you know it, it proves that it's it is giving back to the community and really that's something that's uh, it's amazing. I mean the idea is to mobilize people on bicycles and you know, give them the opportunity to instead of walking somewhere get there faster by using bicycles and you know seeing something like that it you know it definitely shows that the initiative is good um, and it's actually helping people and, and it's it's great it's great to be associated with something like that especially a a team like. Uh, NTT that, that can actually make a make a real effect. Yeah, uh, you know, Robbie, you, you well, Doc, you were talking about taking your hands off the handlebars. I tried that in the black zone at Modafontaine, <laughs> and I've got the broken collarbone to uh, yeah. to attest to that. But Robbie, when you were out uh, doing a series of breakfasts in two thousand and seven or two thousand eight, when you yeah. when you won that first yeah. uh, stage, I mean, something you, you spoke about there really stuck with me. And you said that the domestiques are probably the most underestimated athletes on the planet, that the amount of work mm-hmm. they do relative to the recognition they get, just nobody understands it. Just talk a little bit about, if you can, and I'll throw it back to Dr. Rapp. What's the life of a domestic? Yeah, very unrewarding, <laughs> to be honest. Um, but they're exceptional athletes. I mean, I've, I work as one of the guys currently who races on um, – yeah, Jumbo Visma, obviously, who's you know with Roglic, who's got the yellow yellow jersey at Tour de France, and yeah. uh, um, one of my guys is is racing with him currently on the team, and uh, he's actually the Norwegian. Well, last year's Norwegian champion, um, and I mean he's doing a fantastic job at the moment. It's him, and uh, you know he's 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 the guy who's riding in the front all day, every day in the wind, you know, mm-hmm. getting them from point A to point B, and then of course you see uh, you know you, you see Dimulan Rog uh, Roglic and uh, Sepp Kuss and and these guys looking fantastic up the climbs, but I mean, getting them, most of the time, getting them from point A to point B is, there's one or two guys doing that. So yeah, it's, uh, you know, the, the guy I'm talking about is Amund Janssen Grondal, and uh, I mean, an exceptional athlete in his own right. I mean, he's a guy who, uh, in the classics, he's, he's got the quality to go and win the classics, but you know, when you go to the Tour de France, he's, he's the domestic. So yeah, yeah it's, a, it's an unrewarding job. Uh, it's great to know that you're doing a job and you've got a, um, a leader who can finish it off. So he feels good and he's happy to do it. But I mean, there's, uh, there's this, uh, I don't know, there's a hundred other guys like him in the peloton that are doing a job for a leader, and their leader might be sitting in ninth or tenth overall, and you never hear about them. Uh, so from that perspective, it's uh, it's not an easy job, but I mean they all get paid to do their job, um, and and yeah, they are professionals, so they do it, and and, and that's what they're paid for. So yeah, it's uh, that they're definitely not in the limelight as much as I think they deserve. That's for sure. Yeah, maybe one quick question before the doc wraps and I. My bookie wants to know just to, just, to, just between you, you and me, just us girls. Prediction: Who's going to win? Cool. The general a classification. I mean, uh, to be honest with you, I think that I think at the end of the day, from an excitement point of view, uh, because you know we, we spoke about the dominating teams, and I think you know of, of past we had Ineos dominating. Uh, this year, you've got Jumbo Visma dominating. Um, from an excitement perspective, I'd like to see uh, um, our guy in second place possibly trying to take uh, trying to take the yellow jersey. Uh, that would that would be quite exciting because he hasn't gone there with a team that's as big and as strong um, as as the other as the other teams. 
Um, so yeah, that, yeah. That, that could be quite exciting, I think, for the race itself. Um, whether it'll happen or not, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. But uh, I, think he, I think he can still surprise us. Great, man. Thanks, Robbie. Listen, just as we're wrapping up, I mean, we could obviously chat for hours and end, uh, but I mean, thanks very much for your time. Um, I know you're going back to the tour now for the final day or two, are you? Yeah, I am. That's the idea. Yeah, okay. I'm uh, like currently at the moment. Uh, you know, not many people are, are kind of allowed to be at the tour uh, from the public perspective because of the whole COVID uh, problem. Sure. Um, so they they're very much racing in bubbles and they're not really allowed to see people. So if I do go, it's you know trying to literally to go there in the last few days and see athletes uh, as the race finishes. Yeah. Well, good luck. I mean, you know, not just for for your riders, Robbie. Just in closing, if people want to get hold of you, if they want to mail you, are you on social media? Can they link up with you? How do South Africans get hold of you? How do South Africans get hold of me? If they've got sponsors, they can get hold of me any time of the day, <laughs> day, all week, all night. You'll take any call. <laughs> uh, all all the time. No, um, obviously, I mean, I, I run I run a sports management camp. Looks after a number of athletes, and you know, we help teams out with sponsors and things like that. But I mean, I'm always available via email, which is uh, Robbie at ProTouchGlobal.com. Great, man. Thanks very much. So there you go. I mean, if you want to get involved or just find out about, you know, the, the world of, of pro cycling and pro sports, you know, Robbie, uh, thanks again for your time. Really appreciate it. Go well, and we hope to catch you when you're next in South Africa. Sounds good. Guys, appreciate it. Thanks, thanks. Robbie. Thanks for coming, and thanks to everyone for listening in. Thanks, guys. Catch you next week catch on The Doc and the Guru. Challenges. And so there was another episode of The Doc and the Guru Please don't uh, forget to get hold of us on Facebook, like us, follow us, uh, subscribe to the podcast. And then from my side, you can get hold of me on LinkedIn, Dr. Doug Mataz. I'm uh, very active and very keen to hear about your views uh, and certainly will respond. And hopefully we can bring that into the show. Thanks, Doc. And it's uh, Gordon Miller, the guru, signing off. Thank you for being with us and listening into this podcast today. You can pick up the discussion with me on my Twitter handle, at Mzanzi Media. And I'd love to engage with you on any of the issues that we've taken on in the show. And take us at our word. This is really going to be an open forum. There are no subjects that are taboo. And we'd love to have some of the younger, more under-listened, if that's the correct phrase, uh, voices to join us uh, in this discussion. Thanks for your time. The Dark and the Guru, proudly brought to you by Infinity Media, incubating innovative businesses in the media industry.